Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, as Pastor Jim just prayed a moment ago and mentioned, we, uh, we have moved here, my wife and I, Melina, she's sitting right here. And so uh, we, we're front row people, by the way. We're, we're that kind of, we're like, we like to be in the spit zone. So that's kind of our jam. And, uh, and I am, I'm an amen guy. So I just, you know, it's not intentional. It just sort of comes out of me. Maybe it's a Latino thing. I'm not sure, but it just sort of comes out of me. But uh, we just moved to uh, Florida this week. I previously lived in Orlando, Florida area from 2013 to 2017 and had the privilege of being a part of launching this congregation back in uh, 2016. Back then was known as uh, Grace Church Claremont. And then I moved away in 2017. So we're excited to uh, move here. I'm excited to get, kind of reacquainted with friendly faces, people that I know, and then look across the room and go, there's a whole lot of faces here that I don't know. And so I'm excited to connect and uh, spend time and get to know people here. We spent the last six, I spent the last six years in Minnesota. I've had the privilege of being a professor and a pastor, uh, but really just felt God calling us to be, to be here and to see what the Lord would do, potentially launch a new work. Um, there is, I think, I think you've heard a lot of people are moving here. I think you've heard that, apparently. And uh, we believe there's a need for more gospel-centered churches in Central Florida because we want to make Jesus impossible to ignore in this region. We want everyone to move here to know it is impossible to ignore Jesus. If you're going to reject him and damn your soul, that's your choice. But we're going to make sure that you cannot ignore that choice. You cannot put it aside. You're going to have to reckon with Jesus because we're planting churches. That's our, that's our goal. And so excited to be here, excited for what God has done, excited to be here this morning with you, and excited to look at Psalm 33. This has become one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 33 and Psalm 63 are probably my two favorites. Well, Psalm 103 in there as well. I guess it's hard to nail it down completely. But Psalm 33 is absolutely one of my favorite psalms. <clears throat> the psalm starts with a call to worship. The psalmist is telling us, what we ought to do, that is, worship God. We ought to worship him. And then the psalm spends the bulk of its time giving us all the reasons why we ought to want to worship God. So for, he starts off by saying, worship God, and then I'm going to give you all the reasons why worshiping God is right, appropriate, why he is worthy of our worship. And I believe that Psalm 33 is just absolutely beautiful. So excited to look at it with you this morning. I want to pray again, and then we'll dive into the text. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. You are holy, and we are not. We deserve your wrath, and yet you give us mercy. God, thank you. You are so kind, so merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You are faithful to us, even when we are faithless. And for that this morning, God, I say thank you. And I acknowledge that you are worthy of my worship. God, I ask this morning that you would bless our time together. Would you bless the preaching of your word and use the words of Psalm 33 this morning to shape us, to mold us, to make us the Christians that we ought to be. Would you do that this morning in us, God? I pray. Help us to treasure the sovereign God more. And as we examine the words of Psalm 33, would it inspire us to esteem your word more, to esteem the sacred book even more? Would you do that in us, God, I pray. 
And Lord, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you, anyone in this room that is not born again, that is not regenerate, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. May today be the day you give them the gift of repentance. May today be the day you cause them to be born again. Would you do that? I ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Look at the first few verses of Psalm 33 with me. Psalm 33 verse 1 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Shout for joy to the Lord is what psalmist is telling us here to do. In verse 2, he tells us to worship God with the lyre. Side note, I didn't learn what a lyre was in seminary. I had to go to the trustworthy source known, known as Google. And I had to Google what a lyre was. You can Google that. I actually purchased one from Amazon once. And uh, the order never was ever fulfilled. And Amazon gave me a refund because apparently the person selling it decided they didn't want to sell the lyre. I was very sad. I felt cheated that I was, no, I was cheated out of my opportunity of owning a lyre. Basically, it's kind of like a small guitar with a bunch of extra strings. <clears throat> so the psalmist is telling us, get, get some instruments, make some music to him, and play skillfully on the strings because he is worthy of these things. He's in essence telling us, use music to worship God. That's his exhortation to us here in the first three verses. Use music, make music, and sing to God. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different ways to worship God. Singing and music is not the only means of worshiping God. There are various ways. But it just so happens that music is one very powerful way to worship God. This is why we, we incorporate music into all of our corporate worship gatherings. Because music is powerful. Music sort of has, a, has the ability to sort of recenter us. It has the ability to, to shape us, to shape our moods. So the psalmist is telling us to sing. We come to worship. We come into worship and we use music because it shapes our thinking in many ways. It informs our outlook. Music is extremely powerful. There's a bunch of books on music out there you can find, by the way. Uh, there are two books that I read not too long ago about the power of music. A lot of research has been done on how music influences the human psyche, the human mood. And so if you're interested, come up after the service. I'll be glad to kind of share some of the books and articles I've read. But researchers have proven a few things about music. Researchers have proven that music can stimulate more part of the brain, the human brain, than any other human activity. So if you're listening to music or singing music or playing music, a higher percentage of your brain is stimulated than any other activity you could possibly do. Pretty remarkable. Researchers have also proven that you are far more likely to remember lyrics of songs than facts of events. Although I don't think any of us needed research to know that. When I walked through Walgreens, and I remember the lyrics of songs from high school in the 90s, right? Like whenever I hear an Ace of Bass song, any Ace of Bass fans in the house? Anyone? All four. Okay, here we go. They were popular in the 90s, I promise. Okay. Right? When you go through, you, you ever like been somewhere and you hear a song you haven't heard in 20 years and like you know all the lyrics instantly? And you're just like, why can't, I can't remember the grocery list my wife gave me when I, you know, before we went to the grocery store. But I remember a song I heard in 1996. Statistically, you are between four to ten times more likely to remember lyrics than facts from experiences or events 
that you experienced. Researchers have also proven that music has a significant impact even on mental health, and in, in some cases, there's some evidence that maybe even physical health is impacted by music. One researcher said this, music and singing seems to unlock a portion of the human mind that no other activity can unlock, and it's almost supernatural. This is from a secular researcher. I don't think this person was a believer or a Christian, but using this language going, this is almost supernatural. It's so different than anything else. Another researcher says this, when people describe how music impacts them, people often talk about how the boundary between music and themselves seems to dissolve. There's this boundary between us and the music, and the more we listen to music, it kind of just dissolves. We kind of become one with the music in some ways. I'm sure we've all felt that. We've all experienced that. This is the reason why we love going to concerts, right? Live music is so exciting and fun. God created this thing called music, and it unlocks an element of us, of our souls, that nothing else seems to unlock. So when we examine this data, when we understand, when we, when we come to realize this, it makes perfect sense that the psalmist would command us to use music in our worship. If, if music is so powerful and has the ability to, to orient us, shape us, and unlock some things in us, it makes perfect sense that the Bible would tell us, use music in your worship. If humans are hardwired to experience music and respond to it, then we ought to utilize music. And we ought to really consider what kind of music we listen to. Now, make it clear, I'm, I'm not in the camp of the kind of the no secular music camp. That's not my camp. If that is your camp, nothing wrong with that. I think that's a justifiable position. It's not my camp. I, I listen to music that would, is not overtly Christian on a, on a somewhat regular basis. However, we ought to pause occasionally and think to ourselves, is there music I'm listening to that maybe I ought not listen to? Is there music that's impacting me or shaping me in a way that's unhelpful? And music can shape your household and your mood and your life in a lot of ways. A few weeks ago, as my wife and I were preparing to move here, moving, selling a house, preparing to sell a house, pack up, uh, those types of things can be very stressful, lots of logistics. And I just noticed that my wife and I were feeling more stressed than usual, so I made a determination a few weeks ago that when I wake up every morning, I was just going to just put on worship music kind of loud and kind of set the tone and it changed the, the atmosphere of my home. Now, usually when you wake up in the Ortiz home, usually you hear the voice of guys like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. If you're not familiar with those guys, it's because you don't watch ESPN and you're probably a better Christian than me. <clears throat> but usually when you wake up in the morning, that's what I usually put on. It's the debate with Fox Sports, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp arguing about sports. And if you're not a sports fan, that's what, some of, that's what we do. We just like to watch people argue about sports. So it's, it's fun, apparently. But apparently that doesn't really shape, it doesn't change the tenor of your home, right? So I decided, hey, no, let's just put on some worship music and uh, play some hymns. And it has changed the sort of atmosphere on a word. It is better, that is better than maybe what I previously had. Psalm 33 is not the other place, in the, not the only place in scripture where we're commanded to use song. We see this in Psalm 147. The psalmist there says, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. The Apostle Paul says this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Psalm 96 says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. 
tell of his salvation from day to day. So the Bible is very clear. Sing regularly to God. Sing to him. And then the psalmist, starting in verse 4, for the rest of the psalm, gives us all the reasons why we ought to want to sing to God. So if you don't feel like singing to God, the psalmist is going to say, hey, read verses 4 to the end of the psalm, end of the chapter, and by the end of that, you're going to have a lot of good reasons that you ought to want to sing to him. Look at the next few verses with me. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says this. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The word of the Lord is upright. All of the words that come from God are right and trustworthy. Now, throughout history, throughout human history, God's words have come to humans in various ways. But today, in the era in which we live, the, the source of God's words is this thing we call the Bible. This supernatural, sacred book we call the canon. It is reliable. It is upright. And that word was given to us because God is faithful to us. And in that word, we see that God is, that he loves righteousness and justice. He loves righteousness and justice. He is committed to justice and doing the right thing. Because he, because of his unfailing love. Our God is right. Our God is true. Our God has never done a wrong thing or a bad thing. He's never had a bad thought or a wrong motive. Every deed he has ever done, it is good. And if we think he has done something bad, it is because we have misunderstood him. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. Another English translation renders verses 4 and 5 this way. For the word of the Lord holds true. And we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. The unfailing love of God fills the earth. So we can trust him. The prophet Isaiah says this, Isaiah 26, verse 4, he says this. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Trust in the Lord. Why? He is an everlasting rock. Remember a few years ago, I was in the nation of India, traveling on some uh, short-term missions trip. And when I was there, I remember having a conversation with a Hindu man who was telling me about some of the Hindu gods that he believes in in the village. And he was telling me that these gods are unreliable. He was telling me that you know, sometimes you give a sacrifice and, and it's efficient. It, it appeases that god. It's sufficient. It's enough. And then some days that same sacrifice is not enough. you got to do more. And you just never quite know what mood the gods are going to be in. I thought to myself, what a heartbreaking, tragic way to live life. You have no clue what the gods expect of you. I remember having a conversation with him telling him, no, no, I believe in the one true God who is unchanging. And he is reliable, an everlasting rock. And he looked at me like I had four eyeballs, just like, what are you talking about? That is ridiculous. That is, not, it's not a, that is not a thing. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who is always consistent and faithful. He is always good, always just, always righteous, an everlasting rock. 
that's worthy of singing about. That's worthy of singing about, that we have a God who is an everlasting rock. Look at verses 6 to 9 with me. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Everything that was made came from his mouth. Verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God spoke and bam, the heavens came into existence. God breathed and boom, the world came into being. He gave birth to stars with his breath. That's the God we serve. He tells the oceans where to stop. Okay, that's enough, Atlantic. You stop there. Pacific, you can come in a little more. No, there, that's enough. Stop. Psalm 96 says this. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The prophet Isaiah says this in Psalm 40. Look up into the heavens, who created all these stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling them each by name. Let me just pause for a second. Talk about stars. According to researchers at the University of California, Santa Barbara, there are approximately 10 billion galaxies. Billion with a B. 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Okay, approximately 10 billion and the number of stars in each galaxy, it, on an average, per galaxy, the average is about 100 billion stars. So 10 billion galaxies, in each one of them, there's about 100 billion stars. It's 10 billion galaxies, 100 billion stars. That's 1 billion trillion stars. A group of a trillion stars, a billion of those groups. God knows each one of them by name. Joe, Sally, 97657Z. He spoke and bam, from his mouth came billions of trillions of stars. That's worth singing about. That's the God who you serve. Back in the late 90s, there was a popular contemporary worship song you may be familiar with. God of Wonders. Anyone remember this song? Raise your hand if you remember this song. Okay, about a third of you. Great. This is a great song. Remember? The lyrics went something like this. <clears throat> God of Wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy. Holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy. Holy. Lord of heaven and earth. Now you know why I'm a preacher, not a singer. <laughs> it's, good, it's good, it's good. We all have gifts. Some are an eye, some are a knee. It's all right. But we sing these types of songs because we worship a creator who created 10 billion galaxies. 
that have a hundred billion stars in each of them. And he breathed with the breath of his mouth. Here's a few extra billion galaxies for you today. Our God is worthy of song. Look at, look at verses 10 and 11 with me. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. God's wisdom and word are far superior than any words or wisdom from any person. And his words and his wisdom will last forever to generations and generations. Look at verse 12. It says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance, as his heritage, excuse me. The nation who serves God will be blessed. Any group of people that follow God's wisdom and God's ways will be blessed. And the implication is that those who do not follow his ways and his wisdom will not be blessed, but will suffer the consequences of their own foolishness. The latter half of verse 12 says, the people whom he has chosen. It is an incredible blessing to be a part of the group of people that God has chosen. The creator of the universe has said, I want you in my family. I heard John Piper, some of you may be familiar with Pastor John Piper. I had the privilege of serving alongside of him at Bethlehem Seminary uh, the last year. I heard him say this in a sermon once. He says, God in eternity looked upon me and he said, I want that man in my family. I will pay for him to be in my family with my son's own life. And that is evidence of mega off-the-charts love, Piper says. God looked down the corridor of time and he saw you. And he said, I want you in my family. I'm going to choose you and I will do what it takes. I will do what needs to be done to ensure that you get into my family and that is evidence of God's mega, off-the-charts love for you. That is a reason to sing. This is why we, we sing songs with lyrics like the old hymn that says, Jesus sought me while I was wandering from the fold of God. This is why we sing lyrics like, He to rescue me from danger interposed. His precious blood. Look at verses uh, 13 to 15 with me. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of all of them and observes all of their deeds. God has a grander perspective. From where he sits, he can see everything. And not only does he see everything, but he can see into our hearts. And not only does he see into our hearts, he fashions hearts. God is omnipotent, meaning he can do whatever he wants. There is nothing too strong for him. He is omniscient. He sees and knows everything. Verses 16 and 17 says this, The king is not saved by his great army, a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. 
and by its great might, it cannot rescue. A king does not win a war because of a great army. That's what the psalmist says. No. A warrior is not delivered by his own great strength. That's not what delivers a warrior. If you're trusting in the war horse to save you, oh, that's a false hope. Man, if you think the ways of this world or some political scheme is going to rescue you, you think there's anything in this world that humans have come up with that's going to rescue you, oh, you are in for something. Because that's not how it goes down. A king doesn't win a war because he's got a big army. A king wins a war because God has determined he would win that war. That's it. A warrior doesn't win a fight because he's stronger than his opponent. The warrior wins the fight for one reason, because God determined he would win the fight. So God is worthy of our singing. Everything is in his hands. Job 42, 2 says this. This is a Job, Job speaking. I know that you can do all things, speaking to God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 155 says this. Our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Psalm 135 says this, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Whatever God wants, God gets. And ain't nobody can stop him. God is in control of everything. And he is good. The idea of God being in control, being perfectly sovereign over all things, but not being good, is terrifying. To know he can do whatever he wants and he's not good should scare all of us. It should terrorize us. God being good but not being sovereign is actually sort of useless. Because you're good but you can't do anything about it. Sovereignty without goodness, terrorizing. Goodness without sovereignty, useless. But sovereignty with goodness leads to singing. I, I worship you. Good and faithful God. Good and faithful God. I recently had a conversation with someone who was in a car accident. And he said, man, the seatbelt saved my life. I said to him, well, the seatbelt was a natural means that God used to save you. That's correct. Yeah. But it was God who gave man the wisdom to invent seatbelts. It was God who created the materials the seatbelt was made out of. It is God who shaped your heart and gave you the desire to put on your seatbelt that day. It was God who ensured that the seatbelt actually worked that day. It was God that made sure that when the car hit you, it hit you in, in a fashion that the seatbelt would actually be useful in that moment. There are any number of things that could have gone differently that God determines. And had those things been different, you would have died with or without a seatbelt. And so while the seatbelt is valuable, as my wife reminds me regularly, wear your seatbelts, it's good. But it is not your seatbelt that saves you. It is the sovereign God of the universe who determines all things, who is good and in control. He is the one who saves. About, a, about 12, 13 years ago or so, there was a hip-hop artist by the name of Lecrae, and he's still around. About, about 13 years ago, he came out with a song. Lecrae said this in a song. You know what's in my hand. Me, I just roll and trust you. You cause the dice to land. I'm in control of nothing. Follow you at any cost. Some call it sovereign will. All I know is you the boss. God's the boss. And he's a good boss. 
He's the best boss of them all. And he's working things out in your favor. The Apostle Paul says this in the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Your mind has no clue the good stuff that God's working out for you on your behalf. The church, to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul says, a very famous verse, Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not some things, not most things, all things. I mentioned my wife and I are traveling this week. We took us several days to get from Minnesota down here this week. Um, longer than we expected because we had some uh, car issues. We started the trip with two cars, only one made it to Florida. It's a, it's a long story. Uh, one car uh, caught fire at one point, literally was on fire, and that's the car that made it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's in the parking lot out here. Uh, we got it checked out, and the mechanics gave it an okay. And so we had some hiccups. I have one of them. The other car is, uh, it needs a new transmission. It's somewhere in central Georgia. So if anyone wants to drive with me to Georgia this week to go pick it up after the transmission gets replaced, let me know. Uh, I may, may need a partner in that crime. Um, so that's the, this week. And I, you know, we were, we were driving, we were at a hotel. We were, not, you know, we were not expecting to stay overnight in central Georgia this week. We were expecting to be here Thursday. And so we, you know, we, we, we're in Georgia and I'm going, we just sat down kind of in our hotel and I just laughed, I just chuckled. I just, just because, you know what, God, you're in control. My wife and I were talking, and I just said, baby, he's got us. He has provided for us over and over and over again. I, I wasn't even mad. Like, whatever. Like, he's gonna he will provide everything we need. He created with the breath of his mouth a billion trillion stars. He can provide transmission. It's no big deal for my God. It's no big deal for my God. And sometimes in life we face much bigger things. We face difficulties, miscarriages, death, relationship fractures, financial stress, cancer. In this life, we face very real difficulties. Life is hard sometimes. But God's got this. And he's got you. And there's nothing in your life that God has allowed without a purpose. I promise. Which is why we can sing songs like, like the lyric we just sang a moment ago. Though trouble and anguish increase all the more, they cannot compare to the glory in store. Come joy or sorrow, whatever befalls, the light of the Savior will outshine them all. I love those lyrics we sang a moment ago. Even things that hurt, even things we cannot comprehend, will ultimately be worked out for your good. You may not understand it. You may not see it. It may be a while before it becomes clear to you. I promise you, Christian, if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, every hard thing you've ever experienced, big or small, will work out for your good. Not because of my opinion, because he promised it. And he is the everlasting rock. So you can trust what he says. You can trust him. This is why we sing songs, lyrics from that old song. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, 
It is well, it is well with my soul. Whatever you determine to bring my way, God, it's good. I'm good with it because I know I can trust you. The last, last few verses here, we'll go quickly. Verses 18 and 19, the psalmist in Psalm 33 says this. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Do you fear God? Do you revere him? His eyes are on you. Are you hoping in his love? He's looking out for you. In verse 19, he says this, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Believers, his eyes are on you and he will keep you from death. Spiritual death, the long-term consequences of our own sin. He will guard us from that. Psalm 34 says this, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. He's tuned in to the frequency of your cries. The radio station of your cries is on his dialer. He's tuned in, listening for you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Look at verses 20 and 21. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Verse 21. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. The more you trust in him, the more glad your heart will be. Our help is in him. Verse, oh, Psalm 33 then ends with a short prayer of sorts. Look at verse 22. It says this. This is a prayer from the psalmist on behalf of all those who are reading. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. God, would you give us more of your love? Would you help us experience more of your steadfast love? Would you do that? As we trust in you, may we experience your love. And that's what he promises to do. In Psalm 103, the psalmist says that God crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That's what he says. Psalm 103, later in that same psalm, he says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Oh, he's got love that is steadfast, never wavers. And he's abounding, overflowing in that kind of love. Overflowing and channeling it to you. John Calvin's commentary on Psalm 33, he says this. If we hope in Christ, then we have no reason to fear that God will fail to continue his mercy toward us without intermission. I love that word from Calvin. God's going to show you mercy without intermission. He's never going to take a break. He's not like an actor in a play that needs 15 minutes off because he's tired. Never takes a break from showing you his love for you. He will show you his mercy without intermission. If you have trusted in Christ, if that is you, his love is focused on you. His love is set on you. God became a man, Jesus in the flesh. He took on your sin. He took on my sin. He took on the guilt of us all. And he died a brutal death on a Roman cross. Should have been me on that cross. Should have been you on that cross. 
It should have been us dying there. Instead, God stepped in and died in our place. Which is why we can sing lyrics like, Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. That's why we sing those lyrics. Because God became a man and died in our place. But he didn't stay dead. Jesus did not stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead, victorious over death, giving us yet another reason to sing. He defeated death, and he says to you, the worst thing in this life that could happen to you is death. And death is the key that ushers you into the greatest thing, the presence of a holy God. That's why we can sing lyrics from that popular Hillsong song, Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. We can sing lyrics like, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. He is our living hope. He has no rival. He has no equal. That's why we can sing lyrics like, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. We can sing lyrics like, see the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. We can sing lyrics like, no guilt in life, no fear in death. We can sing with confidence words like, no power of hell and no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand. We can sing those with confidence. We can sing words from that old hymn, streams of mercy, Never ceasing. And as that hymn says, they call for songs of loudest praise. The streams of mercy of God is never ceasing. And they demand something. They demand songs from us of loudest praise. Church, the God you serve is worthy of your song. Sing to him. He deserves it. He is good. He is reliable. He is the creator. He is sovereign. And he overflows with steadfast, steadfast love for you. In just a moment, we're going to sing these lyrics. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out amongst the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. We sing to him because he is worthy. Would you pray with me?